0: Um, Let's turn our attention towards the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is powerful. The Bible says it's it's, uh, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions or the motives of the heart. You know, the Word of God is powerful, and it can transform our lives. It releases uh, power into your life uh, so that you can know the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His anointing. And His anointing breaks the yoke. His anointing gives us the courage and the encouragement to continue on serving Him, even when circumstances are against us. Circumstances oftentimes are against us. Would you say amen to that? But we have a God who has promised uh, to deliver us, promised to help us. I, I read a, a story from an old Reader's Digest recently that about the 1992 Summer Olympics, that featured two uh, tremendous heart-rending moments. An American sprinter named Gail Devers, uh, the clear leader in the 100-meter hurdles, she tripped over the last barrier. She agonizingly pulled herself up to her knees and she crawled the last five meters, finishing fifth, but finishing nevertheless. She had something inside of her that said, I may not finish first, but I'm going to finish. Somebody say amen. There's sometimes, you know, that we stumble and we fall, but God will help us to get to the finish line. It's not how well you begin, but it's how you finish. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah. Yeah, an even more emotional uh, moment was in the 400-meter semifinal in which British runner Derek Redman tore a hamstring and fell hard on the track. I, that's painful. He struggled to his feet and began to hobble determined to complete the race. His father ran from the stands to help him off the track, but Derek refused to quit. He leaned on his father, and the two of them limped to the finish line together, accompanied by the deafening applause of thousands of people who assembled there that day. And you know, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, when we choose to finish, even when we're hobbling along, even though spiritually we may may pull a hamstring, we maybe get knocked to the ground, All of heaven and the stands in heaven applaud and cheer us on. Somebody say amen. Amen. You know, stories like that uh, encourage me not to give up when trouble comes. You know, quitters aren't much of an inspiration, are they? But people who rise up and finish the race, even though they're struggling, even though they do it in difficulty, are the ones that we call heroes. And there's people like that that are heroes of our faith. You remember the time when Jesus... uh, 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 called, and uh, this man came to Jesus and said, that he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus warned him. He told him the cost. He was counting the cost. I want you to count the cost. Before you make that kind of commitment, you need to realize that the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is simply telling him that if you follow me, you must realize that there are going to be some difficulties along the way. Somebody say Amen. You know, there's some false teaching that's going around and has been going around for a long time that says that if you just uh, have the right confession, if you just believe the right thing, that if you just trust in God, that you're not going to have trouble. But I'm telling you today that Jesus' own words said that in this world you're going to have trouble. Somebody say amen. Uh, you know, uh, when people start the Christian life, they start this race, we call the race to the end of our uh, life on earth and we enter into eternity and then to quit when the going gets tough, uh, they can oftentimes become a symbol or an object of ridicule to some and a source of discouragement to others because when somebody falls and they fall hard, especially the bigger they are, it can bring confusion and it can bring resentment. It can bring uh, just frustration to people who look up to them. That's why it's so important that we remember that people are watching our lives that we don't want to be a disappointment to God. but We also don't want to be a disappointment to people who are watching our lives, but we want to set a good example. That's the reason Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, our text for today, uh, tells us uh, that this is important. And what does he say there? He says, therefore, since you or we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight That slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. You know, sin will trip you up. It will make you fall. It will make you discouraged. It will make you feel as if, make you feel as if you have no future in God. But when we look up to God and God reaches down, when we repent and He raises us up, it's time to get up and run that race, hobbled, but finish the race. And so He goes on to say, and let us, say, let us, let us run with endurance. Say endurance. Endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Each one of us has a race that God has set before us. We do this, he says in verse number two, by doing what? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and he perfects our faith because Of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. And now, say now, he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. Verse number three says, think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people and then you won't become weary and give up. And then, if you consider him, you won't become weary and give up because Christ championed Uh, It was a champion in his life, and he's a champion we can look forward to. He's a hero that we can admire. He's a hero that we can trust in. And so Paul, uh, who I believe wrote the uh, book of Hebrews, even though there's some controversy about that, but most theologians, especially conservative ones, believe that it has all the hallmarks of his writing and his theology. Paul was a great theologian, having sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a teacher of Judaism, of, of the law, that is still to this day considered by rabbis to be the greatest teacher in all of history of Judaism. And so Paul was a great theologian. He knew what, who God was. He knew Christ was. And he articulates that so much uh, in his writings, especially Romans and uh, also here as well in Hebrews. And so Paul is not comparing the Christian life to uh, what we might call a wind sprint. Uh, But instead, to a marathon, it's a long race in which endurance and strategy for your walk with God and your race that you have to be in. In a wind sprint, you run as fast as you can for a short distance, and speed uh, speed is critical in that factor if you're going to win. But in a marathon, endurance is the key. It's the critical factor in running uh, a marathon. Uh, The concern is that over the long run, the runner will not grow weary and lose heart. Sometimes people who are inexperienced in running marathons may take off like a rocket and get way ahead of the crowd, way ahead of the other runners, and think that they're, uh, they're going to make it to the finish line in first place. And if they do that, they find themselves faltering and falling behind because they run out of gas, because they didn't pace themselves. So we want to make sure that we, in our walk with God, pace ourselves. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have finished the race. This is Paul's in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is considered his last will and testament before he uh, was martyred for the faith. Uh, and, And he says that I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me On that day, and not only to me, but also to all, have longed for his appearing. It's Paul at the end of his life, realizing that possibly the Holy Spirit is giving him awareness and and a witness that, Paul, you're not going to get out of this thing alive. You're going to be martyred for, for the sake of Christ and for the gospel. And Paul was open to that possibility. As Paul had told his followers before that, you know, I long to be here. He told the Philippians, I long to be here and live a long life so that I can be of benefit to you. But I also long to go home to be with the Lord. And he says, I can't choose. It's, it's Inside it's just like there's pros and cons and I long for to stay, but I also long to go home. But whatever it is, Paul said, that my life will be lived for the glory of God whether I'm here or whether I die. Somebody say amen. Now that's, that's finishing well right? That's finishing well. That's not starting off with a great race and making all kinds of incredible uh, uh, feats and people are ooing and awing over your walk with God, but then falling away because you didn't plan out a strategy with the help of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word of God to live your life fully to the fullest every moment of your life till the end. So how do we do this? How do we achieve this? I think, first of all, like our text said, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Would you say amen to that? Yes. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, Paul says that, keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. You know, he endured the cross because he, he uh, dis- despised the shame, but he was looking forward to the joy that was set out before him. Now, a great biblical illustration of the need of keeping our eyes on Jesus, I can't think of a better one in this context is in Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 31. It's the passage where Jesus sent his disciples out in the boat to go to the other side, and he stayed behind. He was praying and seeking God, and after a great ministry uh, uh, conference that he was doing, I call it a conference, but uh, meetings that he was having, and, and the water got rough. Now, can I tell you that the infinite God, the omniscient God, knew and advanced, when he says, you're going to go out into the into the sea, and I'll catch up to you later. He knew there was going to be bad weather, and yet he sent him out anyway. He didn't say, wait until morning when the waters are going to be calm. Can I tell you something, a principle? is that sometimes God, in his omniscience, his foreknowledge, knows that you're going to have trouble, and yet he bids you to go anyway. He knows the waters are going to get rough, the wind is going to be blowing, and we're out there in the ocean and we're wondering, what in the world did I get into? What was God thinking? Or was God thinking? You know, that may sound uh, a little bit cross of the line, but sometimes we wonder, God, were you aware when you sent me out in this boat, proverbial boat, that there was going to be rough waters, that there's going to be trouble. And God would say, yes, I knew, but whatever I send you to do, you can't accomplish because I will be with you. In fact, he says, I'll go before you and I'll be with you. Well, what happened is Jesus comes walking on the water and the disciples all get fearful thinking, oh, my goodness, it's a spirit. And yet Peter suddenly recognized and realized that it was Jesus walking on the water. Can I tell you something that the creator God, who Jesus with the trinity, with the entire trinity, created all the heavens and the earth and all that is seen that was unseen. He created it out of nothing by the word of his mouth. And that the God who created creation is under his subjection. And when there's water and the natural laws simply dictate that if you walk on water, you're going to sink because of gravity. There's nothing sturdy enough to hold you up. That Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, can defy the laws of gravity. He walks on water. He makes a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. He opens up doors that seem to be shut and locked from the inside with dead bolts up and down there. But he can open the doors. And he can keep the door open so that no man can shut that door. This is the kind of God we serve. And Peter looked out and he saw Jesus. This Jesus. And he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And, and, and while the other 11 disciples were in the boat feeling a little bit safer than what Peter was going to do, and Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water and he's walking along and everything is going fine and he's doing great and, and man, he's just like, I'm walking on water, I'm defying gravity. And he's all excited, but the wind and the waves have not stopped. He's walking along the wind and the waves. And all of a sudden, you know what Peter did? We know the story, right? That he suddenly began to be distracted. Say distracted. He became distracted by the circumstances around him. Instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he took his eyes off Jesus and began to look around at the wind and the waves. And his brain begins to kick in, the natural mind, and begins to say to him that Peter... This is impossible. You can't walk on water. This isn't happening. You know, it's kind of like you know, I used like I still like Looney Tunes cartoons. You know, the anvils falling on people—that's funny, right? Uh, it's politically incorrect today, but uh, I, I was raised on anvils and things like that. And one of the things is, you know, when when Bugs Bunny is running and he runs out and he's running off the cliff and he stands in the air or roadrunner and and uh, the the chaser so intent on catching him he runs out off the cliff with him wily e. coyote and he suddenly realizes that I'm not on solid ground and it's not until he realizes that I'm in air that he falls and roadrunner beep beep well peter's like that He steps out on the water, wind and waves, storm all around him, and yet he doesn't care. It doesn't affect him because he's looking at the author and the finisher of our faith. He's looking at the Son of God who said, you can come out here with me. You can do this, Peter. What what is impossible to you, I will make possible. I will be your strength and your weakness. I am your God. I'm the one who created all this. I can... I can make you walk on water. And Peter does this until he takes his eyes off of Jesus, puts it on him, circumstances. And the same is true for us. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, even though he told us to do the impossible, even though we were doing the impossible, when we take our eyes off of him and our brain starts thinking up here, it tells your mind, you can't do this. And all of a sudden, you believe the lie that your mind is perpetrating instead of the supernatural power of God, and you fall. And Peter begins to fall, he begins to sink. And what does he do? What does he do? He does what we need to do. When that happens to us, he begins to realize his heart, his spirit begins to tell him and begins to tell us by the power of the Holy Spirit, get your eyes back on Jesus. The spirit tells your spirit and your spirit tells your mind. You were walking on water. It really happened. And your spirit begins to, listen, begins to teach your mind That what is impossible is possible when God gets involved in your circumstances. It doesn't matter about the storm all around you. All that matters is if God tells you you can do it, you can do it. Where's your faith today? We keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we're in the battles in this life, we need to follow the example of Christ and look into the future when we'll experience his power in our life, by keeping our eyes on Jesus and by keeping our eyes on the prize. You know, for everything God calls you to do, even though it may be impossible, you think, well, I could never do that. I could never do that. And God says, yeah, you can do it if you keep your eyes on me and believe me. If you put away your unbelief and your doubt, I'll I'll make you more than a conqueror. That I will raise you up and and I will sustain you, and I will be with you. Keep your eyes on me and keep your eyes on the prize, because those who finish the race get the prize. Somebody say Amen. You know I'm not all for this modern culture where everybody who competes gets a trophy, and I, I believe that even though I may not get the trophy, I, my brother Rick was the athlete in our family, and he was an incredible athlete and. And he used to tell me, you're not a, much of an athlete, are you? And I'd say, um, no, I'm not. But Jesus loves me anyway. <laughs> yeah. But he, he's always doing, he does that to his daughters. You're, you're not the best athlete in this family, I am. Oh, no, you're not, Dad, I'm the athlete. You know. And they argue back and forth. He enjoys stuff like that. But can I tell you that in God, we're all great athletes. We're great athletes if we listen to his voice answer his call, and, and, and join the race. See, if we stop looking around at other people, comparing ourselves to other people, comparing ourselves to all the talents and the abilities and the skills that they have, we'll never accomplish anything because we'll always feel like we're never going to amount anything. You know, my dad used to curse us. Uh, he used to say, you know, you'll never amount to anything. He told me when I was 14, when I said I'm called to be a minister, he said, well, you're never going to get rich being a minister and, and to which I say today, my dad, looking back, he was a prophet, you know, he, he, he saw, saw ahead. I mean, God can speak through even unrighteous authority figures. He can speak the truth, and, and yet God has taken good care of us. You know, it's not important how rich you are, it's how faithful you are. It's not about how much riches you acquire in this life and accumulate, but it's how many you accumulate in heaven, and you'll accumulate great wealth in heaven when you listen to God's call and obey his voice. Do what he says, there's a great reward laid out for you at the end of that race. We stand before Jesus one day, and Jesus, for the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. He looked beyond the pain and the shame of the cross. And that's what helped keep him on track with God's plan of salvation, of redemption. As during the pain and the humiliation, the whippings, the beatings, the mockings, the scourgings, Jesus kept his eyes on the joy that was set before him that if I finish this call of God, to pay the penalty for the sins of the world, that there lays ahead of me the great joy in heaven. Uh, And he endured because of that. If we take our eyes off the prize, somebody says, well, I'm not doing it for the prize. Well, there is a prize. And don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take your eyes off the promises of God. The cross, Jesus endured, we can endure our cross. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross daily and follow me. Did, Did he say that or did he not? And so we're in the battle of this life. We need to follow his example. And we remember the Apostle Paul kept his eyes on Jesus and on the prize that was set before him because Philippians chapter 3.12, the Apostle says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus has first possessed me. Paul says, I haven't made it to the finish line yet. I'm not perfect, but I'm being perfected every day that I walk with Jesus. And he says, but the one thing I do is I'm going to keep pressing on to the prize that God has set before me. Philippians chapter 3.13 says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on one thing. Say one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You know, so many of God's people would be happier in their faith, have more joy and more victory if they would remember that one thing Paul said. Forget your past, let it go, and move on. You know, my, my daughter, one of my daughters for Christmas, made me this t-shirt. And uh she she has all the sayings on it, <coughs> phrases that I would all say through the years that annoyed all the daughters, and they're just like, and and uh one of them, even though I'm not a liberal uh, by any stretch, but when people would start belaboring things, I'd say, Move moveon.org. And so that's on that T-shirt, among other things. You know, like hookah pookah, what does that mean? I don't know. The grandkids like it. You know, my, my uh, I think, one or two-year-old grandson, when we had him for, for a week or so, and he went back home, uh, my son-in-law went to his wife and said, well, you can tell your, that, that Joey spent some time with your dad. She said, what do you mean? He says, he's going around saying hookah pooka. He couldn't even say daddy yet, I don't think, but he said, anyway. But there's a whole list of stuff on there. Sometimes I'll wear it. You can see it. Anyway, it's a funny t-shirt. Um, but Jesus said, you know, uh, that, that you're going to have trouble, but you've you got to finish. Like Peter, there's going to be trouble that comes, but you've got to stay afloat. Uh, how do you stay afloat? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, uh, press towards the mark like Paul said, of the high calling of God. You want to look forward to what's ahead and and not from behind. Don't live in the memories of your past, whether they're successes or victories. You see, Paul had successes and victories. He had good things and bad things. And Paul said, listen, I'm going to lay those aside for the greater good of looking for what's ahead because no matter how good it was in the past, listen to this, some of you need to hear this, no matter how good it was back then, God has better things ahead for us. See, and we can dwell on the past say, oh, it'll never be this good. Oh, these are my glory days. Oh, this is the golden years. Well, then look ahead and see what else God has for you. And I don't care if you're 10 or 20 or 50 or 80 or 90 or 100 years old. God has something better for you. And that goes true for every church. God has something better. trouble with so many churches that fall into decline is because they're living in the past on past memories, what we used to do and how we used to do it. We need to lay it aside and move ahead, press on, reaching, stretching for the prize of the upward call of God, where God says, I want you to go higher. I want you to go higher. And Paul said, I press on towards the end of this race to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us to. Thirdly, third point is this. How are we going to achieve this? Enduring hardship. Now, we don't like to talk about hardship, okay? Okay. I don't think anybody has on their refrigerator that verse where Jesus said that in this world you're going to have trouble. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. We don't like to memorize stuff like that, but it's there. You know how I remember it? It's because I live it every day. Trouble comes. It's not if it comes. It's when it comes. And when it comes, what are you going to do about it? Do you have a strategy? Are you going to walk with God? Or are you going to throw up your hands and quit? Back 45 years ago, my wife had cancer, and we were just two young people starting out in life. Had a nine-month-old baby, and here we get this news: fourth-stage cancer. It's already gone to the bone marrow, and already in the organs. And you're, you know, and it's bad. It's looking bad. And you know, I got very discouraged. Both of us did. And we, we kind of—I don't say we lost our faith, but we laid our faith on, faith on the shelf for a little bit because we couldn't imagine how God would allow this to happen, and why me, God? Why me? Have you ever asked God, "Why me"? Sometimes we need to ask, why not me? Maybe God, as we found out, was trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us that no matter how hard life gets, how many difficult moments you have with bad news, listen to this. God is still on the throne. And it does not affect your salvation. It does not affect your relationship or standing with God. It simply means that God is going to show himself mighty in the circumstances that you are in, if you get your eyes back on Jesus. And, you know, we got our eyes back on Jesus. Amen. Amen. My father-in-law, in in those early days, he came by and he said, my father-in-law was very negative. I mean, I love him dearly. He's in heaven today, but he's positive now because he's seen Jesus. And my dad's in heaven today, and he's a godly man because he accepted Jesus. And so I'm thankful for that. I, I can't wait to see, we watched, uh, a few days ago, watched, uh, uh, I can only imagine, Watch that movie again. And every time I watched that, I think, and I told Don at the end, I said, you know, every time I watch this, I said, it's just like, that's my dad. Only worse, <laughs> probably worse. I don't, I don't know, maybe that was, I don't know, I didn't live in his house, but it was bad. And, and when this, I said, you know, I told Don, I said, what disappoints me is that when my dad got saved... He died like a week later, a week and a half later. I think it was about a week later. But he went to heaven. I didn't get a chance to see what Bart saw. His dad was transformed by the power of God and left such good memories. But you know what? I thought about that after I told Donna that and I was thinking, you know, but one day, you know, I could say this. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I see my dad in heaven and see how he has been transformed by God's love. See, I can only imagine. And see, through all this difficulty, enduring hardship is a part of that, enduring hardship of life. Enduring uh, sometimes as a, a youth, or maybe a young person, maybe your home life isn't the best. I know a lot of you here share kind of a similar story that I have. And as a believer, you're wondering, God, how can you let this happen? How can you let my dad or my mom do this to me or whoever the circumstances are? And sometimes that's hardship, and that's hard to understand. But if you put your mind and your eyes on that, instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus, you're going to sink, and you're going you're to drown. And I found keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, think of all the hostility. What does the Word of God say? That he endured, Jesus endured. From sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. Then you won't be weary and give up. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, Uh, who endured the hostility of sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up, because I'll tell you what, nobody endured the kind of hostility and the pain that Jesus endured. He kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on his Father in heaven, and he was victorious in purchasing salvation for us. Jesus said, again, if the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. And if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And if they kept my words, they will keep, if they uh, kept my words, they will also keep yours also. So Jesus was simply warning us that we have a choice. Not if trouble comes, but when it comes. When hardship comes, not if, but when, are we going to keep our eyes on Jesus? Are we going to endure until the end? Now, knowing that hardships are a normal part of the Christian life, it's best if we learn from those who went before us and have fought the good fight of faith. And uh, here's some things we can learn from the Apostle Paul on hardship. There's three things here I want you to look at on overhead. Hardship is a temporary, is only temporary. Hardship is only temporary, and it has a purpose. There's a reason for it. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 says, For our present troubles are small, And won't last long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, but rather we fix our gaze on things we cannot see. For the things we now see will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You realize that when you're going through trouble, there are some things that you see, and it's usually the trouble that's right before you that you're in the midst of. But as Christians, we need to fix our gaze on Jesus and trust even if we don't see the other side of the problem that it's there because God said it was there. Okay? God said it was there. When you're going up the mountain, you don't see the other side. But you know that it's there. And when you're enduring hardship as a Christian, you know there's another side to it. You're going to go downhill in a good way. Second, secondly, God will show his strength through your weakness. You can rely on it. It's the promise of God. Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, uh, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses in reproaches in hardships in persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is the Apostle Paul, things that he learned. Can we learn from those who have gone on before us? From those who trusted in God and endured until the end, who finished the race to receive the prize. Let them be our heroes and those that we emulate in our life. Thirdly, thirdly you will grow in Christ likeness when God is in the picture. The trouble that you go through, God intends, listen, for good. You know what the Word of God says in Romans eight twenty eight, That we know, say we know. It's not that we think or we're hoping, but we know that all things, not some things, but all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God intended for you and intends for me every one of us, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you know, if we don't share in his sufferings, we're not going to share in the glory that he experienced by enduring hardships until the very end and winning the battle. Running the Christian race is tough. I have a picture up here, I want you to leave it up, of my daughter, she's the middle one in the middle, many of you know Ellen. She grew up in this church from the time she was young. And uh, she's married, Jason, incredible, incredibly gifted teacher of the Word. Well, Ellen got into running races and running. While we were with her earlier in the summer, she's out every day running. She had, her and Jason have a trainer that's helping them. And both of them lost a lot of weight, got it in the shape. But there were times when my daughter would be out running while we were there uh, during uh, uh, the summer on a vacation. And Jason would get a call and he'd say, I'll be right there. And he runs out the door, comes to find out he had to run out to wherever she was running because she suddenly was attacked by uh, uh, just unbearable pain in her stomach and, and was just laid to the ground and she couldn't get up to come home. He had to go help her get home. But you know what she was doing the next day? She's back out running again. You know what happened? He got a phone call, go out and pick her up. Uh, it's, I think that happened three or four times while we were there. And yet she kept running. She has a medical issue. She's seeing a specialist that's coming up. With that severe pain, when it hits her, is debilitating. But she didn't give up. She kept running through the pain. She kept listening. And she says today, she writes, and this is on Facebook Today I ran my first K, 5K race. It's been a lot of work getting here, but I'm still really slow. But my goal was to actually run the whole thing without stopping, and that's what I did today. I would not have been able to do this without the support of my husband Jason and the kids. When I got home, Jesse told me that he prayed for me. He's our little grandson, five years old. And Jesse prayed for me. And he was able to run, uh, he was prayed for me that I'd be able to run the whole race without any tummy pain. And that blessed my heart. She says, I definitely would never in a million years have been able to do this without the constant support of my amazing coach, Carrie. I realized quite quickly, I realized quite quickly that she will cheer so hard for you whenever you're in first place or in last place. And it's genuine. I'm honored to get to work with her. She has encouraged me and pushed me. She she has worked through mindsets and struggles I didn't know I had, and she helped me When I didn't think that I could physically do it. It meant the whole world to me to have her there today, encouraging me uh, on the middle, yelling to remember to breathe as I went through the last loop, which is exactly what I needed. Love you, Carrie, excited and a little scared as to what the next goal is going to be, but I'm gonna know that I can I get to do it with you and encourage me every step of the way. You know, it was a tough race. And yet she endured. Now notice what she said here. Uh, somebody was praying for me. My husband, my, my son, my children were praying for me. We all, listen to me, we all need somebody to pray for us. Okay, We can't do it alone. You listen to what I'm saying here. We are a family. We're a body. We can't make it alone. You can't make it alone in your trouble. You need God, but you also need God with with skin on, somebody said. Okay? You need your family, and you need those in this body to help cheer you on. Uh, They have a trainer. Do you have a trainer? Okay? Word of God, the Holy Spirit's job is to lead and guide us into all truth. He's kind of our trainer. But we also need a trainer with skin on, somebody who can encourage you to keep going when you want to quit. Somebody to talk to you and say, hey, I'm going to speak the truth and love to you. You know, you're doing this and you need to stop that. Or you need to start doing this. When's the last time I saw you in church? Talking to people online right now and others. We need people to cheer us on. We need people to cheer us and yell us, hey, don't forget to breathe on your last sprint, on your last part of this leg. Remember the breathing lessons I taught you. We need people. We need God. But you know, the race that is set before you and the race that is set before me, we can finish. Somebody say amen. Amen. You can finish. You can finish well. Remember what I said to you earlier? It's not how well you begin, but it's how well you finish. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Worship team, you can come back. And Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for that resurrection power that for those who believe in you now dwells in our mortal bodies. It is able to make alive, to quicken that which is on its deathbed. Lord, maybe there's some people here today that maybe their faith is kind of on life support right now, and maybe it's because of discouragement. Circumstances, trouble, or it could be neglect. They've neglected their salvation, neglected the Word of God and their time with you, neglected church. But Lord, would you remind these folks today that there's resurrection power that can raise them up and restore them to perfect health? Would you remind those who are going through trouble right now that it's not going to be forever, but God will deliver? And God will help them through this difficult time. But stay the course. Stay the course. Keep on walking. When they falter, be like Peter. Look to Jesus and he'll lift you up. Oh, Peter, why did you not believe? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those who are struggling. I pray for the power of God to restore them to encourage them and to bring them to finish line. In Jesus' name.